who is God, and this week we're going to talk about where is God. Where is God? I think this is a... Last week and this week really are some fundamental questions that sometimes we tend to pretend that we don't ask these questions, that we don't wonder these things, that we've never um, in our hearts pondered them. And um, I often say we almost pretend like if I don't verbalize it, God doesn't know that I thought it, which is far from the truth. But there are times where we have asked, where is God? And I, I wonder how many times that we have asked, where is God? In the middle of our situation, in the middle of our circumstances, in the middle of whatever's going on in our life that we've stopped, and we've just, just the cry of our heart has been, where is God? Now, how do we know that God exists, how do we know, before we even start into this, how do we know that, that we can even question that there is a God? Psalms 19 and 1 says this, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. I realize every now and then how, how little we actually pay attention to the things that proclaim God. It's... It's ironic that if someone takes and posts a picture on Facebook or Instagram or sends it on Twitter or whatever, and it's of a sunset or whatever, we'll go, oh, right? Oh, that's so beautiful. God's marvelous. When's the last time you sat around and watched the sunset? When's the last time that you got up early enough and said, I'm going to go sit outside, I'm going to watch the sunrise? I'm too busy. Pastor. I can't, I don't have time. We're going to talk about something today. we got time for what we want to have time for, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. We get so busy because we're going from here to there and somewhere that we've got to be and something we've got to accomplish that we miss out on the very things that declare the glory of God and proclaim His handiwork. Just to stop sometimes, to be still. Oh, you'd think the Word said, be still and know that I am God. You, you would think that, that he had identified and said, hey, you guys may need to slow down some. You may need to on occasion just stop and look around. I told Michelle this morning, you know, I, I, you look at creation and it declares God. I'm still trying to figure out how my basset hounds declare God. <laughs> I, I am. But I have, I have noticed, and I don't know what it is, and if I figure it out, I'm, I'll tell you all, but... but I've noticed that one of our basset hounds, Molly, um, we had to move the elliptical. So I had to put it on the sun porch, which makes you sweat more. So it's all good. And, but now I can see, you know, and, and our backyard is, is lower. And so I can see out and I can see trees. and I can see across to the, to the mountain and the water tower that's over there. But I also see the dogs as they're, as they're making their forays around in the morning. And so I have noticed that my one basset hound, that when she goes to this particular bush, she goes in slow motion. I, I, I don't know what it is. She's been doing it for two weeks. Well, that's since I've been, you know, watching her. And she'll, she'll come across the yard, and when she gets to that bush and starts under the bush, because it's down on the ground, she goes, Sue, 
super slow. <laughs> she never chases anything. She never, but she goes super. And I'm talking like a paw does just like about this long to hit the ground. And I was thinking about this Psalm 19, 1, going, wow, the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims His handiwork. I look around and see all of creation and realize God created the foundation of all these things. And so, here's a, here's a side tidbit. Even though I don't understand what's going on with that basset hound, her creation still proclaims the Maker. I don't always have to understand what's going on with people. I don't always have to understand how they are and why they are and all of that to still recognize that they proclaim the maker. Mm. God wants us to know that he exists. Psalms 19 makes that very clear. God wants us to know that he exists. And God also wants us to know even where he is. So my little bit of sarcasm today so why do we struggle with identifying someone we can't see and we can't hear? Right? I mean, really, that's when people are coming into Christianity or even are examining Christianity from the outside, they go, man, you guys have this conversation you call prayer with someone you can't see and that you really don't audibly you know, hear responding to you. So it can be a struggle for people to say, where is, where is this God? Where is he? And so it made me realize that I think our first struggle is, do we really believe that God wants us to see Him? I think one of the reasons that we get disconnected and have to then ask, where is God, is because at times we think that God doesn't want us to see Him. Hmm. You know, I've hidden, you know, from the kids before when they were little and stuff like Now, not just to scare them, because y'all know I'll do that on occasion, but, but you know, you, you would hide. Remember, even when you got toddlers, you know, you'll, when you're trying to encourage them to walk or something, you'll get around the other side of the couch or something, and you'll, hey, hey, come here, because they'll come looking for you, right? You know, wobbling and weebling, you know, wobble like a weeble, but they don't fall down. They'll be making their way around the corner, and, and you're not hiding, right? Remember, you've done... I know y'all played peekaboo with your kids at some point, right? You know, oh, peekaboo, right? Were you trying for them not? Did you not want them to see you? You were, you were really, you were looking for the excitement of when they see you. And then we get into situations and we ask ourselves, "Where is God? Where is God?" And God's not over here in the corner, going, "Aren't you can't see me? You can't see me. You know, you can't see me." He's not doing that. Psalms 98 and verse 2 helps clarify that. He says, The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He's let it be known. He's let it be seen. Romans 1 and 20. He says, For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. There's that. He says, look, in creation all around you, even his invisible attributes, the things that we can't see, which is namely his eternal power. All right, so he is all powerful and he has all power forever. It's eternal. And also his divine nature that he is God. 
He is divinity. Says these things have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. How? In the things that have been made. Man, I don't care. I don't care from a godly perspective what it is that you think about yourself. If you have negative thoughts and all that, it doesn't matter. Not, not in the eternal, not in the grand, in the truth sense. Sometimes we believe things about ourselves that are not true. Because here's what I want you to know. This is, this is, just, this is free. Here's what you need to know. God made you. God created you. God shaped and formed you. Before you were at Jeremiah 29, says before you were ever born. When you were in your mother's womb, he shaped you. He formed you in the, in the innermost parts. God already knew who you were going to be. And you, because you are one of the things that have been made, you proclaim the fact that God exists. Mm. But also, that means we're without excuse. We don't get to say, well, I don't know that God exists. I, I, I didn't realize. I want to share one with you that's a little different thought process in this. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. We know this, this passage, but don't you think about it in a, in a little different fashion. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I just want you to hang on to that scripture for a moment because we're going to come back to it. I'm going to kind of leave you hanging just for a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. Another odd one for the idea of, you know, maybe you've never thought about this in recognizing that God exists and that he is. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, I want you to understand what we just looked at in all these passages. What we just saw was that God has revealed himself. God has revealed himself in three very distinct ways. The first way that God has revealed himself is through creation. So we're able to see and recognize that God exists because that we look around us and we see the things that have been created. There's not a single person that if I took this watch off of my hand and held it up and said, hey, how do you think this watch got here? How do you think this watch got here? You wouldn't go, I bet there was an explosion and out of it there came a watch. Wouldn't happen, right? And, and you probably wouldn't say, well, maybe it wasn't a watch at first. Maybe there was an explosion and there was a sundial. And then over the next 2,000 years, that sundial slowly became an hourglass. And then over the next million years, that hourglass turned into a Timex. And then it went from a Timex to one of those Tissots. That's that fancy watch that they show sometimes during the NFL commercial. Can't, I, we can't afford it, you know. I mean, it's like $15,000 or something like that, you know, but Tissot. It went, it went from explosion to sundial, and then it just became a Tissot. God has revealed himself in creation. You would look at that and go, somebody made that. Somebody made that watch. They made all the pieces. They figured out how it fits together with a purpose. 
They didn't just put some machine together that doesn't have a purpose. God did not put you together without purpose. God puts you together with a design for what He wanted you to accomplish in the unique way that He has built you. God has also revealed Himself in His Word. When we see that the Scripture says that, that all Scripture is inspired by God, it's because He is revealing Himself in His Word. Not only in creation, but He's revealing Himself in His Word. And then we see, even if we go to John 1.1, in addition to what we just looked at, where that, that we saw that, that Jesus uh, took on Himself the form of God, did not count equality a thing to be grasped in Philippians but we could also go to John 1, 1, where it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later on, it says, and the Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. God has revealed Himself in His Son, Jesus Christ, in the very person of Jesus who came and lived among us. Now, all that sounds great. Okay, so you've, you've covered that God exists, that He's revealed Himself in creation, He's revealed Himself in His Word and in the person of Jesus. But where is God? Where is God? There was a song in 1990. You may recognize it. I'm going to let you listen to a portion of it. I'm going to go back here and sit down. You're going to listen to this song. It expresses what a lot of people believe of where God is. Feel free to sing along. That way everybody will know what you were listening to in the 90s. Or maybe last week.
that song, because it, it sounded great. That song, I remember, you know, listening to that song because it's great. Man, it's got a great melody. I, I love the actual music. It's got a lot of keyboard stuff behind it, so I like that. But then she hits that part. God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. Because the whole time, the whole song has been singing about from a distance, everything looks blue and green, and the snow-capped mountains look white from a distance. We don't see hunger. We don't see poverty. We don't see all of these things. We all look the same. We're all from a distance. Many, many people admit that there's a God, but they believe that He's removed Himself from creation and is watching us from a distance, not really seeing the pain and suffering on earth. And there's actually a term for that. It's called deism. Deism is a belief that God created the universe, He spun it into existence, but then He let everything else just left it to its own devices. The classic description of this is the what? Well, they say, oh, yes, obviously someone created the watch, but then he wound it up and then he just let it go and was never involved in the process again. And that was one of the initial shifts that people made. Thomas Paine, his name spelled differently than mine, but Thomas Paine wrote uh, a statement that actually was, uh, is credited as being some of the foundation of, of deism. But shifts you over to this idea that, yes, Okay, I'll buy into that, that creation had to be made by someone. But then he's just removed himself because if not, why would there be hunger? Why would there be pain? Why would there be sorrow? Why would there be all of these things? He just put this thing into existence and he has stepped back and has left us to do whatever and to let the chips fall where they may. Now, the reality is, is that many Christian people have at times essentially embraced deism during a crisis moment. That's, why, that's part of why we end up asking this question. But you just hang in there because there's going to be a, you're, I'm going to show you. There's a lot of people that have asked this question. Sometimes even us as believers during the moment, what we're, what we're struggling with and slipping back to is a belief that God has been far removed from us and from our circumstances. So we ask, where are you, God? I want you to see some different times this actually got asked. Psalms 10 and 1. Oh Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I'm in trouble? Listen to me. By the way, Brian and I talk about this stuff often about, about the Psalms. Uh, David, you know, in writing this stuff, was not going, Oh Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I am in trouble? You know, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not just getting loud to get loud today. This is what this was like. He's standing there looking at God and says, Oh Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why are you hiding when I am in trouble? If you think that was the one time, Psalm 13, verses 1 through 3, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. God, why are you, why are you turned away? Why, are, why won't you even look at me? That's what the perception was. That's what the perception 
was. Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away from a distance? When I groan for help, every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Both unbelievers and Christ followers alike have asked the question, where is God? Look, when today is 9-11, it's a day that we reflect back and we remember what happened to our country. I, I remember where I was. We had moved to Indiana in 2000. And I was, I was working in a plant, four, 500 people, and, and I had come walking back through engineering and was coming across the front, headed to the, to the COO's office and, and passed through a break room that had a television and, and it uh, was showing what had happened. And our country then reached a point where it asked the question, where is God? And we're going to talk about that toward the end of, of this message. But all you got to do is look around our world. There have been earthquakes. There have been uh, natural disasters. There have been terrorist attacks. There have been all these things. And people stop and they ask, where is God? Where is God in all of this? I want to show you in Scripture where God is, and then wrap this up at the end with a, with a completely different question. Psalms 23, familiar passage. This is the shepherd passage. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. I'm doing all these in New Living, uh, the New Living Translation from this point forward because it's really plain. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Where is God? He said, I'm trying to lead you. He said, I'm trying to guide you. I'm trying to direct you to places that will cause you to rest, to places that are full of peace. I'm trying to lead and guide you so that I can renew your strength. In the process, I'm bringing honor to my name. And yes, then if we are being guided by Jesus Christ, by God himself, then we will at times walk through the darkest valley. We should not go into the dark valley and then look and go, where is God? We should recognize that if we are following God, He may lead us through the dark valley. Instead of allowing the valley to cause us to question, where is God? We should know and be assured in our heart, I know that I am in pursuit of God and I am following after God. So even if I have to walk through the darkest valley, I know that He has said He is close beside me. I know that He has said He is leading me and guiding me. And ultimately, He wants to lead me beside the peaceful areas and I will lie down in green pastures, which means I will be nourished, I will be strengthened, and He will renew my strength. If He has to 
renew my strength, then that does mean that when I go through the darkest valley, it may deplete my strength. But if I am following him, here on a Sunday night, we did an illustration here in the men's uh, study class where I had Bird follow me, and, and I, we were talking about being a follower. And I said, all right, I'm going to go one way. You go a different direction. And so I went, I, I came this way, and Bird went that way. And I said, so is he a follower at that point? I said, well, no. I said, okay, follow me this time. And so, man, we, we made us a little tour around and said, that's a follower. So if he is guiding and if he is leading, what's happening if I'm not following? Then I'll end up somewhere and I'll say, where is God? Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12, he says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Even there, he says. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. He says, How, where could I even, if I wanted to get away from your spirit, if I wanted to get away from your presence as a follower of you, how could I do that? How could I come? He says, I could, I could make my bed in the grave. I could, I could go to the stars. I could go to the farthest ends of the earth. I could go to the darkness and say, hide me so he cannot see me. And he says, darkness has no impact on you. You see me where I am. No matter where I go, no matter what I'm going through, yet still you see me and you know me. John chapter 10 verse 9 says, Yes, I am the gate. All right, we're talking, where is, where is God? Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. I'm going to come back to that one here in just a second. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? We always get this for a different reason that we use this scripture. For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Hmm. Where is God? What I see in the Word is that God is with us in the darkest valley. That's where He is. In the midst of losing your grandmother. Stephen, that's where God is. In talking to your mom, and you, you said to me, you said, man, she's just calm, and, she's, and we know that there will be impact, but in the midst of the darkest valley, that's where God is. On top of the mountain, when you think that things are great, that's where God is. On the long trek up the mountain, when you feel like you're not going to be able to keep going, that's where God is. John 10 told us that he is the one who's guarding the door of the sheepfold. 
I, I, I'll admit, part of, part of me responds to that and looks and says, man, there's sheep gathered here today, gathered in His name to worship Him and glorify Him. Where is God? God is standing at the door protecting. God is standing at the door and is ensuring that His sheep are where they're supposed to be and doing what they're supposed to be doing and worshiping Him. When he said that I could, I could go to, to the grave, any of these other places. God is with you in the farthest reaches. He, he goes all the way from a, a very practical example of I'm going through the darkest valley, but I don't fear. Why? Because he is with me. We're not talking about that, that your big brother's with you. We're not talking about that your dad even is with you. We're, not ta we're talking about the God of the universe that spoke things into existence that, that is the maker of stars and galaxies and universe and planets and all of these things. He is the one who says, I am with you. You're going through something that's caused by other human beings, but the God of the universe is with you. You're going through something that's caused by a job, by something that's caused by somebody doesn't like you, by something that's caused by your physical condition, but yet God says, I'm the one who created all things and I am with you. In the farthest reaches, He is with you. And in that last one in 2 Corinthians, where we often focus on the what union can there be between God's temple and idols, because we're the temple of the living God, Two, we need to understand exactly what they just said. We focus on the first part. Oh, what, what, well, how can the temple and God's temple and idols? Whoa, we don't need to have all that. That's absolutely. Preach that sometime. The next portion of that, though, is he says, but we are the temple of the living God. Where is God? We are the temple of the living God. Where is God? Uh, Y'all going to get it in a minute. We're, we're the temple of the living God. What happened? They would go, they would go in the temple in the old days, they would go, and only the priest could go into the place where that God's presence was. He was the only one that could get there. And so he would go in, and you, you remember he had the rope tied around his leg and the bells and all the different stuff that, that went on. But he was the one that could go into God's presence. How amazing is it that we went from a select group of purified people could go into God's presence to the change today where God's presence purifies all people that will come to Him and then He comes into us instead of us going into Him. He comes and wants to be in us and wants us to be the temple of the Most High God. Where is God? God's supposed to be in us. But as I was going through these scriptures and, and thinking through where is God, and the, the challenges that we face in our situations where what we're really asking is not where is God, we're asking God, why didn't you stop this? God, why didn't you prevent this? We're not really asking where is God. We're assuming that if God was here, we would never have anything bad happen. That's our perception that we've gotten locked into. So when something happens that is the dark valley, we go, God, where are you? And he's going, I'm right here. Well, why are we going through this then? Because I'm leading you. 
Why am I happy? Because I'm guiding you. And so we look to the left or we look to the right, which the Bible tells us not to do, but we look to the left or we look to the right instead of looking to where he is, and we go, but it's clear over there. It's not dark over there. Hey, it's not dark over there. You know what? I need to go over here because obviously God doesn't want me to be going through this darkness. How would you decide that? I know this is, this is, this is a... <laughs> This is, this is a tough one, you know, we, we, because we, we get confused between the effects of sin in a fallen world and then the effect of God leading us through what may be a dark valley. And they're not the same. There are things that happen in our lives simply because we are in a world that is corrupt. That's why the Bible says that, that, it, that when that day comes, that this, this corruptible will put on incorruptible. This mortal will put on immortality. Why? Because it's the effect of a fallen world that sin has happened to our world. So those things happen, but yet God will still take us at times through a seemingly dark valley. But yet, he says, David reminds us there in Psalm 23, I don't have to fear because he is with me. Now, but the reality is, is we still ask the question, where is God? God, where are you? We ask other people, where is God? I want to share this scripture with you because, oh, this one's, uh, this is the heart. This is the heart of this message. It's, it's one thing for us to, to grasp that the heavens declare Him and all creation speaks to Him and speaks of Him, and, and to see those things and to look around us and see the created world and recognize that God exists. It's a whole other thing for us to then turn and still say, where is God in all of this? James actually made a statement about this. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of the time, the reason that we're having to ask, God, where are you, is because we are not close to God. We know what the Word says. The Word says, God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll stick closer than a brother. I'll, I'll be there even until the end of the age. I, I'm, I'm there. I'm not going anywhere. David reminded us in the psalm that he's going to lead you and he's going to guide you. He's going to provide for you. It may be through the darkest valley, but you won't have to fear because his rod and his staff, they're going to comfort you and they'll direct you. They'll give you all these things. He says, I'm the door of the, of the sheepfold. I'm here to protect you. I can go down into the grave. I'm going to find that he's, he's still with me. I can go to the stars. I'm going to find he's there with me. I can go to the forest reaches. He's going to be there with me. Why? Because he said, I am going to come and live in you and you will be my temple. You will be my people and I will be your God. So how is it that we end up in this situation that James describes? When James says, hey, understand you need to come close to God, and God will come close to you. You go, wait a minute. Now, I'm not following that. You just said that God's with me and that God's... You hang in there. I'm going to give you another scripture here in just a second. It's going to... Man, it, it's just one of those... That commercial on TV where that, that purple stuff, whatever it is, in people's heads, you know, pop. That's what it's going to do for you. 
James 4 and 8, come close to God, God will come close to you. But listen at what he then tells them to do. Wash your hands, you sinners. Woo! Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's, let's not get off track because we go, hey, that's not us. That's not us because we're Christians. Listen to what he says at the end. All right, let, let's pick the end up first. He says, you've got loyalty to God, but now it's divided over with the world. People that are of the world, they don't have any loyalty to God. All right? So we're not, we're not, really, addressing, we're not really addressing sinners out in the world. We're talking to people and saying, hey, you need to come close to God. God will come close to you. You need to wash your hands, your sinner, and purify your hearts. Here's how we, one thing that we know, too, because in the process of salvation, you cannot purify your heart, and you cannot wash your hands in the process of salvation. God is the only one that can wash your hands and purify your heart. So he can't be speaking to people that don't know him in that sense and saying, oh, you need to save yourself. Can't happen. But we're often told in the Scripture, in verses like, lay aside the weight that does and the sin that does so easily beset you. You do it. Not God do it, because you're already a follower of God. You've been delivered in the, in the salvation process. You've been redeemed, but you need to get rid of some stuff. I want you to pick up on what he tells them. Wash your hands and purify your hearts. What are those two things? It's actions and it's thoughts. The concept of washing your hands was you need to stop doing some actions that are unclean before God. And you need to change what's in your heart. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need to purify your heart. Why? Because your loyalty is divided between God and the world. He says you need to stop some of your actions. You need to stop some of what you're thinking. I, here's the truth. Sometimes the reason we're asking where is God is because we've gotten away from God. And we need to recognize that in order to come close to God again, we need to stop some of the actions that we're doing, and we need to stop some of the ways that we're thinking. And maybe you're going to stop some of the ways you're thinking by what you're letting come in. It's what you're reading. It's what you're watching. It's what you're listening to. It's what you're dwelling on. It's your bad attitude that, that like the Grinch says, it stinks, stinks, stunk. Right? You need to wash your hands. Stop doing some of the stuff that you're doing. You need to purify your hearts. Stop letting thought processes be in you that are contrary to God. Why? Because your loyalty is divided between God and the world. James 1.14. So that was James 4.8. James 1.14 tells us this. He reminds us, he says, you are drawn away by your own lust and your, and your own enticements. And he says, and what happens is once that that lust conceives, then it bears sin, and then sin separates you. How do we get to where that we're sometimes asking, where is God? Because I can promise you this, God wants us to know that he's near. God wants us to know that He is an ever-present help. See, we say these kind of things. Within the church world, we say things that we don't even understand. We don't appropriate the truth of them into our lives. God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. God is an ever-present help. 
That means if we're having to stop and say, where are you, God? Then we're disconnected somehow. And because he is an ever-present help. So how do we get separated away where that we need to come back close to God, where we need to wash our hands, where we need to purify our hearts, stop our actions, and stop the way we're thinking? Because James 1.14 says, hey, here's how you're drawn away. Drawn away. Listen to that. He says, you were close. Y'all look so sweet. Wendy and Bird sitting there, and she's holding his arm. They're close, you know. It's all close. I like it. It's sweet. It's like sugar. It's like sugar. Sweet like sugar. They're close. Now, if I started saying, hey, Bird, I know you like old cars, man. Why don't, let's skip out on this deal. Let's me and you go, uh, let's me, there's an old car show <laughs> down the road. Why don't we start, see what he did? He immediately turned, he didn't even, he just started looking at it going, all right, can I, let's see, can I get away from, can I, is there a way, can I convince her to let me, can I convince her to let me draw away? Let me, let me draw away. And so, so he, see, I know he likes that. I know he likes the, the, the old car and stuff. So, so all of a sudden, the desires that he has about something else starts to make him draw away from what he should have a desire to. See, that's how, that's how this lust concept works when it comes to God. We think lust. We got everybody. We're, well, we're close enough, old enough. We think, oh, we're lust. We're talking about sex. No. That is what we have allowed ourselves so that we can cover up all of our other issues. We go, ah, see, he's talking about lust. I don't lust after another woman, I, you know, or nowadays or another man. No, that's not, you know, that's not what's going on. So that's what you, so we go, oh, I'm good. No. For some people, it's their job. You go, oh, I don't really like, then why are you spend so much time doing it? Why, why, mm, I'm not talking, we're not talking about you got to do stuff and they, they require you to work and all. That's not what we're talking about. But we, we begin to allow things. Which, oh, my goodness. I, I, I was having a conversation with somebody this week and they were talking about, well, I mean, does, does it really mean that you need to go to, go to church all, you know, every week? And I said, why would you not? I said, you, you, you're a sports fan. You wouldn't think that your kid was prepared to play if they practiced like every other week. Or every two or three weeks, you know, or, but you want to go, ah, but it ought to be okay, you know, I mean, we shouldn't have to do all that. And, and, well, what if, how would you feel if your kid, now we're talking kids now, how would you feel if your kid's going to practice and they're practicing five days a week, somebody else's kid comes like once a week, and then they want to start that kid? You go, wait a minute, now why is my kid over here working their rear end off, and you're going to let them come like once a week? And whoo, hey, well, you know. Man, come close to God. Our, sometimes, see, because they go, well, yeah, but we were doing this, and we were doing that, and we were going this, and we were over, and we had this going on, and we had that. And, and, and so we start to get our loyalty divided to where that we make choices. I'm talking about making choices. We make choices that, well, you know, I'm going to go do this. We make choices. Well, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to go be involved with that. We make all these choices. That, and so they draw us away. It's how, you know, most people, when they end up in some type of marital affair, they don't, they don't you know, going along and they're on fire for God. And they're just, woo, 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 you know, in church. That's the way I was feeling this morning back there, listening to, you got to put a praise on it. 
I was excited, man. It was like it was like elliptical in the morning. I was going, yeah. You don't go from that to all of a sudden, boom, I saw somebody walking down the street and you you off had an affair. No, it starts small. It starts little things, it begins to draw you away. That's why he said here in James 1, the rest of that when he says that that when lust is conceived, when it conceives, then it brings forth sin. The important thing is that no matter what has been drawing us away from God, isn't it funny that, that we will find ourselves saying, you know, this week I just I hadn't prayed that much and I hadn't read the Bible that much. Did you go to work every day? Well, yeah. Why? If I don't go to work, I don't get paid. Ah. Did you eat every day? Well, yeah. Okay. Man, it gets quiet when you're there. <laughs> if you need a gas in a car, did you put gas in the car? Well, yeah. Why? Don't you run out? You'll be walking. I won't be walking. Did you, speak, did you talk to your wife or to your husband? No, I better not ask that one every day. Our, our own lusts and things draw us away. Our desires, the things that we want, the things that we want to pursue. But it's, but it's ironic if, if we have kids in sports or whatever, we'll make sure they get to practice. We'll make sure that, that, uh, that we go pick them up with us. But I didn't have time to pray. I didn't have time to read God's Word. I didn't, and I'm not talking about a legalistic side of, oh, you've got to check the box. I'm talking about, why do you not want to? Maybe it's because we're getting far away. Maybe it's because we're moving away from God. Maybe it's because, well, I, I, just, I just don't, I don't have a passion for God's Word. Why not? When you, when you first started dating, I guarantee you you had a passion for somebody. Y'all know how y'all were. Come on. You wanted to talk to her. Y'all went to get off the phone. Y'all was doing all that little crazy puppy love junk. You know it. You hang up. Oh, oh, I saw it right there. Oh, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to look over here now. Because all the teenagers was like, oh, oh. You hang up. No, you hang up first. No, I love you. I have to remind all the young men, don't be saying that, you know, because that's more important. Women take that serious. You start, I love you when they're 16 years old. Oh, my word, he loves me. You hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. Okay, you hang up. Are you still there? Yeah, I didn't hang up. Y'all know, see? You know that's what happened. It did. Why, you wanted to talk to them. You didn't even have to have, you saw them at school, you know, or something like that. If you was, and you still want to talk to them when you got home, didn't you? I did. Where is God? Man, he's right there. So why don't we want to talk to God like that? Why don't we want to interact with God? Because he's there. He says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Just cleanse your hands. Get, stop doing some of the stuff that's keeping you from interacting with me. Cleanse some stuff out of your heart that's making you think I don't want to be there with you. But here's the final scripture. John chapter 12, verse 26. Oh, man. This one just hit me like a ton of bricks this week. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. 
And this is what this scripture is what tied it all together for me. We go, wait a minute. If God is always, He's not going to leave me nor forsake me. Bird and I, if we stay in this same room, He hasn't left me and He's not forsaking me. But I can be on that side of the room and He can be on that side of the room, or else we can come right here in the middle and we can be near each other. No, God's never going to leave you nor forsake you. No, God's going to try to stick close. God is going to do what we saw in Psalms. He's going to try to lead you and He's going to guide you and He's going to try to direct your paths. And yes, when we, then we look at James and go, but wait a minute, he says you need to come close to God and God will come close to you. How does that happen? It happens when we aren't following Him and going where He is. It's been several weeks since I have referred to it, so it's high time I went back. We go, wait a minute. If you want to serve him, you have to follow him. Why? Because you serve, his servants must be where he is. Why is that? If, if I need something, if, have you ever had somebody going to come over and help you do something? And they say, yeah, I'll just come do whatever you need me to do. And you go, fantastic. I'll tell you what, I'm going to do the work if you'll hand me the tools. All right? And so you're, you're doing something, you go, hey, I need a Phillips head screwdriver. Like you, it's kind of like, you know, when you watch the old TV shows with the doctors, and he's like, scalpel, scalpel. You know, and so he's and you see in, on, on the you know, the comedies of that, you know, they put their hand out and they slap that tool in their hand, scalpel, scalpel. Yeah. And so you're you're going for the guys, you're going Phillips head screwdriver, and they give you one. Here, man, she's going, give me an adjustable wrench, and they give you one. And then you you're working on, hey, give me those needle nose pliers, needle nose pliers. I mean, because you're up under this thing, right? Hey! You have to crawl out. They done gone off somewhere. You don't even know where they are. They done left. You go, wait a minute, I thought you were coming to help me. I thought you said, I'm going to come do anything. Well, I did for a while. Well, but then I needed to go, you know, to the neighbor's house. Well, you can't help me if you're at the neighbor's house. You got to be where I am if you're going to do what I need you to do. And I think that's often where he's saying, look, if you want to be my servant and you want to serve me, then you got to go where I am because I have that purpose for your life. I have what I want you to do, but you can't serve me in that if you're going to go off somewhere else because you got drawn away by your own desires. I wanted to go do this. I wanted to go be that. I wanted to go, you know, be a part of, but God's saying, I need you right here. Well, where, where would God be? Where is God? Matthew 25 says where God is. Matthew 25 says, I need you to go be given something, given a cup of water to those that are thirsty. It says, I need you to go be given food to those that are hungry. I need you to go be visiting those that are in prison. I need you to go be seeing the sick and taking care of them. He says, elsewhere, I need you to pure religion unfiled as this, that you take care of the widows and the orphans. You want to know where God is? He's where the widows are. He's where the orphans are. He's where the hungry are. He's where the thirsty are. He's where the naked are. He's where the imprisoned are. He's where the last, the least, and the lost are. Where are you? Because if we want to serve Him, He says, then my servants have to be where I am. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you, but I am near to those that are brokenhearted. So we go, wait a minute. Well, if he's near to the broken heart, well, but can't God be everywhere at one place, you know, at one time? So, so hey, there's my answer. There's my out, right? He's omnipresent. He can be everywhere, so he can be where I am. He says, nope. That's not the way this deal works. 
Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me. Because my servants have to be where I am. Because God says, I'm going to go over here, and then I'm going to go, need your life. Hey, where do all my followers go? Oh, we over here doing this over here because this is more fun. It's a concept that we get spiritually sometimes that we decide, well, I'm not called. And I've addressed that before in a message. We're called. Where is God? I can guarantee you, God, God is near people that need Him. God is near those that are His children. We, we know that. But He's trying to lead us and guide us. And if we're asking the question, where is God? I'm telling you, we need to ask a different question because this is one that I've learned to ask myself. I've learned to ask myself not where is God, but rather where am I? It's not hard to figure out where God is. His word is full of examples telling us places where he is. The brokenhearted. Those that sorrow. Those that mourn. Those that are in need. And the greatest need that anyone has is that they don't know Jesus Christ. So where is God? He said, I, those that are well don't have need of a physician, but those that are sick. He said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. Where is God? I don't know. Where are we? Oh, I've done my thing. I came to church with people like me that I know and you know, and I got that knocked out, you know, on Sunday morning because I, I don't, I sure enough don't need Bible study on Sunday night. And okay, I might need some prayer, you know, but, but if I need prayer, I'll be here. If, and if I'm in need, then by golly, I'm going to be where, and we're going to, I'm going to call people and I'm going to text people and I'm going to say, hey, we need to be doing, because man, I got a need in my life, but hey, things are going pretty good for me. Where is God? God is going to be serving. God is going to be reaching out to the lost. God is going to be impacting people that don't have, that need, that need an example of His love. I, I don't think the question is really where is God. I think the question is where am I? Where am I? Because if I will draw near to Him, He will draw near to me.